it's really weird because I was not upset in my circumstance. Sure. sure. But I knew that right in that moment there was a dividing line. That choice to go with God. I knew that I knew that, that was that was it. And my whole life can be centered on that one that one moment. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. Today I'm joined by Chris and Bethany. Um, you probably know Bethany as Collective Kids Director. Um, she came on staff when Collective was very young, portable, um, got us through that season, through the COVID year, and into this building, and then <laughs> into an expansion. And so um, I'm really thankful that they're sitting down to share today. And specifically, I'm excited for you all who have seen her on stage or have seen her caring for your kids to kind of hear more about who she is and you know how she came about doing children's ministry and and really how her and Chris both and and, and their kids mean so much to this church. Um, for those of you listening who go to Collective, uh, Chris is the guy who does everything in our building sign-wise. So if you love anything that's on the walls, it's Chris. Uh, he is incredible, does a great job in this building, making it feel great. And so I'm excited for you guys who people have been impacted by in a big way, um, to be able to share a little bit more of your story and um, who you are and what God's done in your life. And so if you're listening to podcast today for the first time, um, you're hearing a good one, but I also want to encourage you, don't hesitate to go back after this and listen to the other stories as well, um, because it really is the fullness of each person's vulnerability that makes this podcast what it is. It's not just a singular story, but stories of a group of people that call collective their church home who are being honest and real and vulnerable about God and who he is and what he's done in their life. And um, it really is the power of all of it together. That makes it um, something that, that shows God's fullness and his goodness and all that. And so um, we're glad you're listening as we, we jump into this one today. And so Bethany, we are going to start with you. Tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was it like? And what was faith like uh, when you were a kid? So I actually was born in Jersey and moved to Maryland when I was three. But from there, that's where I that's where I stayed. I grew up going to church. It's as far back as my memories go. It wasn't ever new to me. And as far as like a, a season of life or a stage of life, it's just always been a part of our family and always been a part of our upbringing. As far as our family goes, uh, you know, both parents present for my whole life still are. I'm the youngest of three, and so I have an older brother, I have an older sister. I don't know what 
illusions people have of the youngest, but I don't think I fit them. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, so we had like a normal kind of carefree uh, childhood, it seemed. Um, except for these two childhood memories that I have that after a lot of the work I've been doing more recently in my life, I've seen them and I see the impact of them. I had a best friend growing up, lived out of state, uh, but she was one of my closest friends, even though we uh, only got to see each other during the summers, really. Uh, we went to church camp together, which, side note, I know Michael <laughs> from church camp. He doesn't think I remember him, but I do. I don't like admitting that I went to church camp. <laughs> it, it changes the whole vibe. Yeah, we didn't. I don't know that we like talked, no. we, but I remember seeing him. I have it in my head. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this friend of mine, uh, she, when we were six, my parents pulled us aside and told us that her dad was going to prison. And all they told us at this season of our life is that he was going because he hurt somebody and that he did not do something nice or kind yeah. uh, because we were six. At that season of my life, that's just like the first time that like I really understood like brokenness to family though and what um, that would kind of do I think just like right there in that moment, not at all understanding that there would be any kind of lasting impact on anyone. Sure. Um, the other memory that I've discovered recently is also, it's just weird. There was this path that our that people in our neighborhood would take to go to like the lakefront for like 4th of July. And so it was like a regular path that we would take. And probably around the same time, six, seven, maybe eight, uh, there was this flyer that had gone around our neighborhood where a girl had gone missing there later on it had come out that they found her she had been raped and she had been murdered and it was just a flyer that was sitting in our house and i don't know that i thought anything of it except for my sister's friend randomly saw it and kind of brought it to our attention you know your world is so small as a child and so to have like these very large traumatic things happen in your life at such a young age but to really not know what it's going to do to you later on yeah. in life it was a big deal, but maybe not yet. And I remember with that one, that's where like fear kind of started coming in and that's where safety concerns started coming in. Not, not in a big way because you're still young and you feel like the people in your life are there to protect you and take care of you. And so I, I rode that, that wave of, of trusting those, uh, those people in my life, parents, siblings, neighbors who, you know, back then that's, you know, you, you just knocked on their door to yeah. go and play and you went into their house. And, and I don't know that we ever really thought anything differently until, um, again, later in life. Now I have a kid, I, yeah. I see things differently. Yeah. I know things differently. So normal carefree life, except these weirdly out of the ordinary things that happen that I didn't really know how it would hurt me later, I think. Sure. Um, so in the midst of that though, we had church and that was a big part of our life. That was, that we, that's what we did. We were there on Sunday mornings. We were there on Sunday nights for whatever programming existed. Um, as we got older, we did more like midweek kind of things, but childhood, like that was, you know, they had children's ministry activities yeah. and it was fun. It was safe. It was, kind of extended family. And that's the way I saw it and I loved it. We also had parents who 
participated in a lot of those things. Before we were even born, my parents were youth leaders and then, well, maybe even when we were young kids. By the time we were in children's ministry programs, though, they were a part of that with us. Okay. Specifically, my mom, she she wanted, they, they both wanted faith and church for us. And yes, church was probably an expectation in our family. Um, I think when I was younger, it didn't really phase me when you get older and you're a little more, you know, like I want to claim my own time frame and what I'm doing. And yeah, you, it, you get a little sassy about not wanting to be there. But, you know, as a kid, it didn't really phase me to not be there. Um, so that's where we were. And uh, so they wanted that for us. They wanted us to be there. They wanted us to be able to claim what they knew was true about God and about Jesus and about his love for us. And I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm even like partially grateful for like the expectation of having to be there. Sure. It was a part of your life, but it was like actually a part of your life. Yeah. Right? It wasn't for your family, a box checking thing. It wasn't grandma did this. No. Therefore we do this. Therefore our children do this. You guys were like active in your faith. Your parents were active in their faith. And one of the things that you brought up was, and, and we'll kind of get more into this a little bit later, but as a kid, it was good that they did that. And, and multiple people on the podcast have brought that up who grew up in the church specifically grew up with a good, for the most part, faith experience, they're thankful that their parents were like, no, this is a priority. Because um, what you see and what we see a lot now is parents aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And then they're wondering why their adult children have no faith. Right. Not even wrestling with their faith, you know, but they just like walk away and like, well, I didn't see that coming. It's like, well, what culture are you building in your children to where this matters and it's valuable? And they see the value of it, even though you're a kid, and you don't really know what it's like to own it, to, ha- to make it yours, all that stuff. But for you guys, like they're definitely setting you in the path of, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to make sure that this doesn't feel like something you have to do, but something that you get to do and, and long to do and stuff yes. like that. Yes, yeah. And even like on the, in the occurrences when it was the expectation and we didn't want to go, it was, well, you need to be there, but you need to find the thing that you would yeah. like to be doing while yeah. you're there. Because so, sometimes there were different opportunities and like, okay, maybe that's not the thing. Maybe teen choir isn't the thing you want to do. Yeah. So growing up, going to church at a young age, like like I, like I mentioned before, it was fun. It was it was what I wanted to be doing. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I knew what else, like I wasn't, I wasn't a sports person. I wasn't theater drama because I was very shy, didn't really want to be in the spotlight. So like, this is just what I, this is what I filled my time with. And my mom, she did a really good job of making it matter. You know, like back then it was like these boxed kits of kids curriculum that would come with like things you tore out of books, one for every kid. There was no digital anything, but it was like a kit that looked like a pizza box. And it was kind of a bummer of a curriculum because (laughs) it was just not fun. And and my mom knew that there was more to like hold on to um, when it came to what kids could learn about. And so she just redid it all. That's cool. Transforming what we were learning. And so everything from like, we made stone tablets, we broke clay jars, we dug up clay jars, we, anything that we could do to like have like a hands-on experience she was creating for us, me, her family, her kids, but also like for everybody else there. Like she 
created like a whole unit on like the history of the Bible, the Reformation movement. And so like third, fourth, fifth grade, these are the things I'm learning yeah. about. And it, it was fun, but it was also becoming very real. And so church itself was a place of safety and a place of family, a place of trust and a place where we were learning about a God who we could trust and all that he had to offer. And I wanted that too. And, you know, yes, when you're young, you see other people making those steps in their faith. And in some ways, like it could end up being like, oh, am I doing this for other people? Sure. But at the same time, I wasn't one of those people. I wasn't one of those, I'm going to do this because everybody else is because I was kind of too nervous too. Yeah. Yeah. And so... You know, I was nine years old, and that's when I decided I wanted to get baptized because I wanted, I wanted what all of this was. I knew that God was a God to be trusted. I knew that there was grace. I didn't really understand grace yeah. at the time, but at yeah. the same time, like I knew what I knew about it and what I understood about forgiveness. I I wanted that. Yeah. I wanted that to be the trajectory for my life, as far as like a nine-year-old can really see mm -hmm. in front of their life. And like, I I know I remember there being this moment after you're baptized when you're like, I'm going to be completely transformed. Mm -hmm. But as a nine year old, you haven't really lived enough life to really like yep. require huge transformation. And like, it didn't mean any less to me. It just meant that I was kind of bound and determined to just make the transformation happen. Sure as I moved forward, um, even if it wasn't something that I wasn't immediately feeling or recognizing. It was weird at first to not immediately feel it or see it or recognize it, but I was like, well, I'm just gonna make this happen then. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna do this. Um, and so that was up until like middle school-ish frame, And that's when, I feel like when I look back on this, that's when I feel like faith got weird. You know, we were learning about the Bible, we were learning about God, we were learning about, his character and we were learning about who he wanted us to be as followers of him but then it started feeling more like all the things you had to do in order to be enough for him or be good enough this weird set of check boxes that had to be accomplished and fulfilled and in the late 90s early 2000s like that was really hard to do because there was uh, the purity movement yep. where there's... Especially in Maryland, it's yes, huge. Huge yeah. scare tactics and purity rings and courtship conferences. Yeah. Um, it was also the season of like the CCM, contemporary Christian music, yep. where there were big pushes on, hey, if you like this kind of music, yep. then instead of it, you should be listening to this kind of music. And it yeah. just got very... Check those boxes. I remember this was probably a week of church camp that we did together where <laughs> a speaker came in and they shared, if you like Eminem, yeah. throw it away and listen to, and the example was a guy named KJ52. Mm -hmm. Hey, stop listening to secular music. Here's the Christian alternative. The problem was the Christian alternative was garbage. Like it wasn't good music. And it was like, now I hate music. Instead of, you know, kind of figuring out how do you love music that isn't Christian, understanding like, hey, the message isn't something that I'm going to take fully into my life. But also, there's some good non-Christian music that sings things or talk. Like, I love Linkin Park. They spoke more to how I felt in middle school and high school than any Christian mm -hmm. artist ever did. 
And it instantly puts this tension in your life of not feeling like you're you're good enough for this God who up until that point we thought was someone who loved us yeah. and wanted us for who we are and yes, wants more for us than who we are, but at the same time, like there's just this like eternal like push and pull of well, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. The tangibility of it when we were in middle school and high school was less read your Bible, pray, have honest conversations about the ways you're struggling and more like what is this big thing that you're doing to show other people that you're trying to love Jesus the right way? There's no space to talk about anything. And like at the time, I don't, it wasn't even like big things to me. It was like, you know, do you, are you allowed to wear a tank top? Like, like that's not that big and life altering, but it's very confusing when you yeah. have people telling you that that is an indicator yeah. of you not loving Jesus because you could potentially be causing someone to sin. And it, it's just a weird, it was a weird time. But I wasn't particularly rebellious. I wasn't really wild. And so I was like, okay, I'll just do these things. Like, you know, like, yeah, okay, I'll stop listening to boy bands because that was what I really wanted to be listening to. Yeah. Uh, do all of these, you know, things that are expected of me. And that will be okay because I do love Jesus. And if this is what these trusted people in my life are telling me proves that I'm worthy of him and his love, then okay. If I ended up listening to NSYNC, it was like, well, I just won't tell anybody. Or, you know, or, well, that's like one season. Yeah. Or like, I'm just gonna go to a concert and like, that's just, that's just gonna have to be okay for that moment. But then you feel awful about it because it's not godly. And so I, that's, that's kind of how I went through middle school and most of high school. But I, I, still, I just kind of went for it and I just kept on doing that. And so through high school, like I, I did all of it. I, I went to church, I served in children's ministry. Um, I was at youth group every week. In the middle of the week, we did what they called like D groups or accountability yep. groups, yep. which are basically just small groups with different names. I think at one point they were called fish groups because hmm. youth groups also love acronyms. Oh, did um, fish stand for something? Faithfully and intensely serving him. So, and so like all of that culminated, service projects, missions, trips, all of it culminated to me going to a Christian college. I, I made it fun. I made it enjoyable. It wasn't, it wasn't as terrible as what maybe other people had felt when they were going through this list of like check boxes, but it certainly wasn't real faith. It was confusing and it was not what I thought I was doing when I was a kid. It was almost like I had more faith as a kid than I did at this point in my life because at least there was like conversation over God and conversation over what God wanted for us. And like you said, spiritual disciplines, like how do we grow as, as believers? Do we, you know, like we're reading our Bible and we're, you know, having hard conversations and we're praying, but we weren't. We were just, you know, making sure we didn't listen to the wrong music and making sure mm -hmm. we wore the right clothing so that boys wouldn't sin. And yeah. we had, like, that's that was our job. Yeah. And, and really what it is, it's, it's like the shame culture that existed and still exists in a lot of churches. I would love to say that the church has kind of moved out of that and they haven't. And a lot of people sit in this room with me and talk about, man, I just carried so much shame 
like the, the mistakes that I was making or the things I, I wasn't doing right or the doubts that I had or the things I was wrestling with made me not a good follower of Jesus or made me not loved by him anymore. It's a really hard way to approach faith. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago in talking about shame. Really, the only way to counter shame in your life is grace. Like there's nothing else that counters shame. Um, but when you grow up in churches where shame is like the main motivator and the main tool, it is crushing. You need to be perfect. There's no searching anymore. There is no doubting anymore. This is, we get it, we believe it, we want it. Therefore, we're trying to live this out as 18 to 22-year-olds. And the culture that exists in those types of colleges is, I'm struggling with things and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And so, you know, you got out of that a little bit, but it it wasn't that much different. I, I, I did end up becoming like this version of myself where I am this crazy perfectionist that just does yeah. not ever see myself as enough in anything that I do. It like, that's where it kind of all began. Well, shortly prior. And I can, I can share that part, but that's, they didn't really do anything to like break me out of that. So high school, that's, that's kind of what I've been doing and, and, enjoying it. I mean, it was, it was a fun season. And then came, um, probably I think one of the most significant like high school moments, which is very weird because it's not big. It's big for like my, like how I ended up, probably how I ended up. There was a progressive dinner, um, which is like a youth group event that was planned, which, um, invites, families, uh, like host families to um, prepare one house, they would do appetizers, yeah. and then the youth group would move to the next and have uh, like the main course, and then they'd move to the next and they'd have dessert. And um, they overplanned, thinking that there would be a very large number of students attend. So they actually had six homes lined up to take children or kids down two different paths. So like there would be group A and there would be group B so that we would not over inundate these host homes with too many wild youths. When we got there though, there were like eight of us. I listed off the various things I did. There was this other thing, this other idea called student leadership, which looking back, I I don't even remember how it was presented to me, but it was almost presented as you are already this model student, so why not just lean all in and be a model for all these other students who maybe aren't quite as good as you? Um, and I, those are not what they said. Sure. That's not what they said. Looking back though, like that's kind of what it felt like. Um, and just one more thing that I kind of added to my resume of I had to be perfect yeah. because there were these like sixth graders watching me or whoever. Um, because I was a student leader, and if they're going to learn how to grow up following Jesus, then they have to look at me, their student leader. So back to the progressive dinner, and there were six homes waiting for eight students, and they didn't want to let them down, and they didn't want to have made it all for nothing. Like, they made this food for us, so we're going to still go down these two paths. I was a senior in high school, and my friends And like, we wanted to do this like last thing together. And I was looked at and said, you are a student leader. You need to fix this. You need to go down this other path and so that we can even out the numbers. And and it was a, we'll wait. And then they sat and waited for me to make the decision to 
swallow my pride and do the right thing. Uh, so I did, and it weirdly wrecked me. Yeah. And and like thinking about this, like preparing for today's podcast, I even sat and thought like these two horribly traumatic moments from my childhood where like I ended up realizing how people ended up being very hurtful. I ended up, you know, realizing that there's a lot of like horrible things in the world at a very young age. And they also wrecked me, but they didn't at the time. And it's almost like this thing made it worse, like was worse in my life. This thing where I had been doing everything, what I thought I was supposed to be doing right. And this one moment of you have to go to these people's homes for dinner (laughs) instead of these people's homes. And if you don't make that choice, then you have failed through all of this. And then that's the version that of me that went to Milligan. That is, that's the part of me that probably exists today that holds on to like this idea of if I am not perfect enough, I'm going to let all of these other people down. It was too much for me to hold at 17. Yeah. And so I left and I went to Milligan. On the outside, it pro- I probably looked fine because you know I also did not want to be in any way, shape, or form in a spotlight position. So I sucked it up and I went through four years. I, I studied. This is why people don't know <laughs> that I went to Milligan. I did my work. I did what I was supposed to do. I sat in a computer lab and I typed my papers because I could focus better there than in my room where things were happening. I was there for a job. I was there for a reason and I was going to prove to people that I was doing it and doing it well. And so grades mattered and I never even had anybody in my life tell me that those things mattered. But suddenly, because this long list of things that I had been doing right suddenly wasn't enough, everything else that I thought people wanted of me, even if they never said it, I had to, I had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, like your parents weren't the ones behind all this, you know, calling you every week going, you got to be on this paper. And that's really important because a lot of the times the stuff does come from our parents. Even when we have great parents though, and that's the thing, like parents matter so much and we know that, you know, healthy parents make all the difference, but also at the same time, you can have healthy, good, Jesus loving parents and still pick up all these things along the way. And your story is kind of that where this isn't necessarily like your mom and your dad putting this pressure on you. It's just life. It's people, a lot of it's Christians, (laughs) you know, because it's Christians who are unwilling to be honest. And, you know, when the progressive dinner happens and there's eight students, like instead of the youth minister saying, oh, crap, I've got my own issues, my own insecurities, my own fears, inadequacies, whatever, and now I'm projecting them on a student, they just project them on a student. And a lot of the stuff that you picked up is stuff that we talked about in the – the series on carrying our baggage, but they didn't necessarily come from parents. It just came from life. Now, looking back though, you can see that it wasn't you, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you didn't pick it up. No. That's what sucks. I thought it was healthy. I thought it was a healthy place. I thought it was normal until this like weird incident where I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what I know anymore. Um, Anytime you are an adult, leading a student, you have to understand the weight that you can hand off. Like it doesn't just have to be our parents. It can be volunteers, youth ministers, teachers. And sometimes I think as adults, we misunderstand 
how much those children need us to not burden them, right? And so ultimately you're handed this burden. You go to Milligan, you stress out for four years. Yeah, I mean, it got worse. (laughs) So insert childhood stories and my brain goes into struggling with trusting people in general, but also not wanting anyone to see that I was struggling. And so I almost like took this approach of like hiding in plain sight. And so I was very like even middle of the road, um, almost like creating this joke of this forgettable person because like the number of times that I was introduced to the same person multiple times, it was, it was sad, it was hurtful, but it was also like, this is what I've, this is what I've been sure. wanting. Like, I don't, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to, I don't want people to see what I'm struggling with because I didn't want to keep getting hurt by them. Yeah. I didn't want to get, I like, I already put so much on myself. Anybody else would have just added more to it. I ended up with probably every eating disorder that I could manage to hide just because I was still trying to like fulfill whatever idea of perfect that people were putting on me, not necessarily, but around me and in our culture. And so I just did what I was supposed to do, kept on striving for perfection, even though like it was almost like neurotic, like this, this need to be perfect, but also like this crazy idea of, but that, that doesn't exist. How am I ever going to get there? Yeah there were probably hundreds of walls around me at that point basically didn't really trust many people even even the people that who would probably hear this now and think what yeah so specifically when you're in college with all of this going on what was your faith like what was your relationship with jesus like i i never stopped believing i always knew that this was something i wanted i always knew that this was important. I always knew God was there. I always knew he was with me. I think it was just a question of how much he wanted me or like, what did I have to do to like gain access? So I, as far as like relationship goes that I think that was the harder part just because it felt unattainable. But in my mind, I just thought, but I still believe in Jesus. I still know that there's value in Jesus. When I went, when I first started at Milligan, I, I mean, I tried to like shed the weight of everything that had happened and like you know like when you go and you're like i'm just gonna be a different person and like you know i joined like the social affairs committee and i'm like i hate every minute of this i'm not social i don't like this and so i did it and like you you know you find friends like i didn't have a car so i was at at like the whim of whoever was going to whatever church they were going to and like I just kind of existed in this rhythm of I'm, I, I still believe in God. I still know that this is important. I'm still striving to do the right thing sure. all the time. I don't, I don't want to give that up. I've come so far. I've done all these things. I don't want to suddenly swing to the other side sure. Sure. and end up this person who reg- has like a million regrets at the end of it all. Maybe I, maybe I do, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like at, at that season of life, those regrets were like the big things like, you know, don't don't have sex before you get married, and you know, don't don't go crazy getting drunk, and you know, like that's what it felt like. The, like, make sure those are fine, but like, relationship with Jesus was 
I wouldn't say non-existent, but it also wasn't thriving. It wasn't growing. I wasn't really pouring into it like I probably needed to in order to find wholeness. Sure. I wasn't setting myself up for finding the correct answers because I wasn't really seeking in the right place. Yeah. So once you graduated, you didn't go to school for ministry. No. Right. So like it wasn't a plan to go into ministry, but you moved back home and kept going to that church. And now we're going to switch over to Chris and he's kind of going to share up until kind of that point where you guys and your lives collide. Um, So Chris, childhood, where'd you grow up and what was faith like um, during that season? Okay. Well, I uh, grew up in New Carrollton, uh, Maryland, which is a lot different than now than it is there. Uh, Inlet Street, little brick house. My, my, my uh, parents lived there. General, uh, I'd, I'd like to say normal childhood there. My parents were fairly, um, I guess, average parents, not faith-based. They, like Brian said in his podcast, I think I was sprinkled out of uh, sure. just because everyone else is doing it. Something, you know? <laughs> peer pressure. <laughs> I, 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 had a, I had God parents, so there was a kind yeah. of cattle thing going on. Yeah. <clears throat> so, no, they were great parents, took care of me, uh, very loving. All, all of our grandparents lived in the area. Uh, aunt and uncles lived in the area. It was very tight. Um, loving house. Uh, uh, my mom made sure I was really involved with uh, preschool and gymnastics and really wanted me to be involved um, with kind of like extracurricular things. My dad would play Atari with me down in the basement. I have a lot of good memories of video games because of that. It's being involved with my dad and kind of doing that together. Um, My parents were really involved with their friends. It was, uh, I had a a blast on Inlet Street. And then my brother was born. From the moment he was born, there was a, there's something different. There's no attention. I started to see those differences from my brother as faults. Sure. Um, Being a little, having an attention issue being a little bit more um, testy than my brother. My brother was very happy, always happy all the time. Um, And I definitely had a warm mood, so I feel like I was instantly like, oh, well, he's along here, he's new. Chris is the second one, you're the the problem kid. And in the the 80s, parents were more vocal about how they talked about their kids around them. And I'm pretty sure I heard things said about me around with Brian. So nothing against Brian, well, nothing to my parents either. It was the culture. Yeah. But I instantly had started getting those seeds of not being good enough. You're not accepted. And I, and I just desired that. Yeah. Kind of like Bethany's story. Like things just weren't, I just wanted to be loved and I just yeah. wanted to be accepted. And it was just, it's like, okay. So, um, sell the house. But we went to um, Brookville. And during the meantime, we stayed with my grandparents, my Oma and Opa. Um, in Berwyn Heights and they were they were basically my parents while they were building that house not that my parents weren't present they had to be there because they literally bought the land got the property had people do the foundation um, got a kit back then I think you can get like a log home kit so they're out there my grandpa my mom's dad was out there Um, they had a bunch of friends out there helping them out Um, they got some mountain men to like build the house uh, but then they left for like bear hunting season and they left for like all these other seasons because they're on mountain men. They had to yeah. go hunt, I guess. So it took a little bit longer to get done. So we lived with my Oma and Opa 
it felt like a long time. In the meantime, I broke my collarbone. So I, I was so close to them. And my uh, Oma and Opa were, they were so uh, loving and um, accepting. And e e even until the, the time they died, they were just always positive. And this whole time, apparently, there's no faith involved yeah. at all. So we move into our house. And um, you know, moving from the city to the country, it's just like it's like mind blowing. Like horse farms all around us, fields, woods. We had some neighbors, <laughs> and that was actually my first experience with Christianity in general. Jesus, anything. Yeah. Uh, I love I love them. I love them so much, but they were basically Flanders from sure. <laughs> The Simpsons, yeah. only lacking a little bit of like the the happy-go-lucky yeah. of them. Um, I know they meant well, but they just had that like very rigid, you know, seven-kid family. Yeah. We got a we got a house, um, and we play with the we play with um, their kids, and they were kind of like the people who just came over and we just played. And um, we'd be playing all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden they would start being like, "Have you have you brought Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior?" And we're like, and "I'm like what?" Because it's like who the heck is Jesus? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be over there with them, and the dad would be like, hey, tell me about your walk. And I'm like, walk? What? What are you talking about? And, you know, they didn't like some movies that we watched, and the fact that we watched The Simpsons, Simpsons yeah. I, I'm pretty sure there are a few months we didn't see them because they thought we watched <laughs> yeah. Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, they got us, a, they brought over a, a Nintendo cartridge of Bible Adventures yes. as a gift. And I'm like, what? Why is it blue? Why does this game suck? It's like really blue. It doesn't fit in my Nintendo just right. Yeah. So there are neighbors. And so my mom is um, just uh, decides that she wants to get baptized just out of the blue. And I'm yeah. like, what is going on? Uh, our friends, the Baines, we love them. We hung out with their, them at their house all the time with um, th their daughter, Lauren. And um, yeah, my mom gets baptized at their church they're currently attending, Montrose Baptist. And uh, she goes, I have no idea what's going on at this whole time. Yeah. And then, and then my mom just catches on fire for Jesus. Like, my dad's very skeptical. Like my brother said, he's definitely uh, more of a science side agnostic. Yeah. Not really sure, but he's like, okay, whatever. And I'm like, this is not cool. Because all I knew is that about, about Christianity was my neighbors. Were your neighbors? And like, yeah. Then my mom starts witnessing to me. Start talking about like, uh, you know, creation, and. That's kind of what did it, was talking about God and just him making things. Yeah. Like, God made this stuff, the stuff that the woods you play in, you know, all the things you liked as a kid. Um, this, God made this stuff. And she kind of went through that, and it, it was, like, instant for me. It was just, like, it made so much sense. Yeah. Like, just look at the leaf, look at all this stuff. And she, you know, she's um, Holly's creation books, and... Um, I was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And she talked about Jesus and all this. And I was like, okay. My brother was, was kind of good for it. And then so we, every Wednesday night, gosh, from like 1990 through like 93, 92, 93, uh, we went with the Baines to Montrose Baptist Wednesday nights. Wow. We didn't care yeah. what was being taught. We didn't know what was being sure, taught about. Sure, sure, your kids. Uh, we, would, we brought our drawing books and we just drew the whole time. So we're doing that. We're doing Montrose Baptist Church. Um, eventually, Lauren, their um, their daughter, gets baptized, and I'm still not baptized yet. But I remember, at some point, just being really convicted. I was drawing Mortal Kombat drawings in my in my book, and then I'm just like, "This is what they're talking about up on stage. This isn't lining up with 
this guy's a skull face breathing <laughs> fire and melting somebody. Ripping someone's insides out. And I'm like, I don't know if that was, if my mom dropped hints to make it seem like I was doing something wrong, but I just remember being like, this, this doesn't seem like a Jesus-y thing. Yeah. So I started like, I have the book still. All these, all these X's over everything in the book that I thought wasn't Christian. Wow. And uh, now I'm looking at that and that's really unhealthy. Yeah, sure, that's very sure. unhealthy, but I was doing it. Um, so eventually we get invited by Linda Thomason Woods, yeah. who is also on the PTA for Greenwood Elementary School, which is where I was going to elementary school, mm. and um, invited us to um, Manor Woods for VBS. I love the idea of creation. I was really getting into that, but just not into this. So I, I go to the I go to Manor Woods, and I walk inside, and they're singing, "All creatures great and small, the Lord Jehovah made them." I don't know that song. Okay, hallelujah. I were walking in there to the to the main auditorium, and man, the, the smell of diapers just hit my face really hard. And I'm a very sensitive person when it comes with smells. I know. I think Satan knows that because he, I hit a diaper smell, and I was like, uh, "Get the f out of here!" Yeah. I I don't want any of this. It was a it was summer. I didn't want to. I wanted to be at the beach. My parents always took us to the beach, camping, yeah. went skiing. I just didn't want to be there. I just I. Not at all. Great curriculum they made, but I, sure. I didn't want it. But I, I did it because my parents were there. I didn't have anything else to do. Um, you know, learned the basic Bible stories for the first time. Sure. Daniel, yeah. Daniel and David and Goliath and all that stuff. Kind of continue on for a bit, and we ended up starting to go to that, to go to uh, Manor Woods and met Ken Mead and um, talking to him and everything. Eventually, me and my brother decided to get baptized. Yeah. And my brought my dad at the same time, and like Brian said too, like seeing my dad make that step really convicted us too, yeah. and so we got baptized. And all I all I knew at that point was Jesus died for us. Believe in him. If you don't, you go to hell. That was the, of yeah. course that was in there too. Yeah. When you're yeah. fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade. Um, yeah, you, you hear that and you go, oh, better, yeah, better do it. Yeah. And I didn't really have any faults being on stage, which a lot of people have a problem with. But <laughs> I was like, okay. Water was freezing. It was February. The heater was broken. So me and it's a I'll, classic church story. <laughs> oh gosh, it was so cold. Did you guys know each other at the time? It was not. If we did, I don't remember. Okay. So I I remember meeting Brian when. Me, <laughs> This is me and Bethany, maybe. Uh, I remember meeting Brian maybe when he was like 13, and I was like, hey, you're 13? I think I thought you were eight. And like, it was one of those <laughs> He knows this story. So like, we were younger when we met, but we didn't really Yeah, because you, you didn't do kids ministry stuff uh, while you were there? Not for a while. Yeah. Like, yeah, so like you weren't, you weren't like down in the basement. No, you know? no. I didn't do that until like high school. Okay. Like, I didn't do middle school. Yeah, stuff. so you guys are at the same church. Mm-hmm. Same community type thing, but not necessarily like yeah. this isn't a story. Everybody listening, this isn't a story where here's the catch: they met in fourth grade and they fell in love. It, it isn't that. You know, you guys are at the same place, but your lives are not necessarily like colliding. Yes, I yeah. And if if he and I actually met, I don't remember it. I remember him in high school youth group, but again, like our paths, he was yeah. like the backdrop of the things that I was. Sure. And you guys were super involved. That made sense. They're new. They're trying to figure it out. Yes, exactly. So, Chris, you're in middle school when you get baptized? Yeah, because at that point, my mom decided to homeschool us. Okay. So, sixth grade on, I was homeschooled. And I was fine. I I hated school. 
as a short kid who's older than anyone else because I was born in January with a lisp, I was never part of the in crowd in there. So when my mom said, you want to homeschool? I was like, yes, yeah. I get to be home with my brother. Uh, yeah, great. And so homeschool, sixth grade on. So let, let's move forward a little bit. For you personally, did faith continue to grow? Being homeschooled, did the church become a bigger part of your life? You know, kind of talk us through all that. I couldn't avoid it. Yeah. My mom was on fire and I was I was literally holding on with, you know, by the reins. Sure. Was, you know, we did that. We did Discovery Days, which was on Fridays, which is you went, it was kind of like it's an umbrella homeschool, co-op, homeschool yeah. group where okay. you got to go on there on Fridays and they have different classes. So I took chess and calligraphy and all these other classes and um, I hated too. I hate I I hate I hated school yeah. in general. I just wanted to draw, I wanted to play in the yard, I wanted to play video games. And um, uh, whenever church and that intersected, sure. Great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but I still had this general sense that God loved me and, and that he wants the best for me. But also it's the nineties. Yep. And youth youth and things in church are absolutely the worst. Yeah. So it's like, I think we started going to, what was it called? It called, what was youth group called on Sunday? And it's all centered around like a lot of sporty stuff and game, silly games and wasn't having any of it. It wasn't deep. I'm not being challenged by it. Sure. Bible bowl, which, yeah. which, uh, um, was mentioned earlier. Bible, uh, by Dylan. Dylan did it. Yeah. Ours was called Bible Bowl, and so we were we went around the country doing quizzing on the Bible, which was also the worst. But I loved the people, and I loved hanging out with people. Sure. That's all I cared about. And we had this great uh, sponsor, Joel Balzer, who took us to these events. And he was—I don't even know why he did it. I think he hated it too. <laughs> but he was really cool. We just had a really good time seeing someone in in the faith who was normal ish yeah. who yeah who just let us be kids um so we do bible we do all that stuff bethany's all around us by the way in the mix beth but bethany, bethany also you do bible right did you like it no okay. i did it for like a minute also um so i'm still trying to learn to get in my faith i remember always asking oh you did bible so you must really sure. be in tune and i'm like yeah. no you're just if, doing things if anything it yeah i was reading my bible all the time but i wasn't retaining anything yeah. Yeah. like i memorized all of luke Genesis, half of Acts, um, and it might look look familiar to me when I look at it, but it, there's no actual sure. knowledge yep. there, no, no growth, wisdom, no, no growth, no wisdom, nothing. Push to grow. Yeah. Um, and in a sense, to kind of sum it up, like '90s church for me was just me just being a kid with church just there, just being a teenager. Yeah. So I so I go to Montgomery College my senior year because I had basically finished everything in school at that point. I was I'm not going to say self-taught, but my mom basically got us books and, and curricula that mm-hmm. allowed me to teach myself. Wow. So I decided, oh, I want to I want to go to school and early, and I want to do computer science because I want to be able to make video games. Went to Montgomery College and took a year there. So I did okay in those classes. did really well in the art and the um, composition classes. So I did that in the same time that I got my first job. First off, working at a pet store, but they tricked me. It wasn't a pet store. There was actually a horse farm nearby. Right after that, I got a job working at a craft store at Olding. It's not there anymore. So I worked every two years, and, I been, and then eventually um, my dad got me a job uh, working at the um, survey processing area of his company, mm. basically working in a mailroom. I meet uh, a girl there, and we start dating. You know, first love 
first relationship. Basically, all all that my life has been kind of building this point because I just wanted attention. I'm just sure. wanting something that that I can I, someone I can, I can be with. I'm like f all the scouts, f all the just to church. Like I found someone. Now yeah. she had been in young life, and I'm, now that I know, I'm like that doesn't, doesn't mean she's a Christian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, oh, I found a good Christian girl. Yay! Sure. Um, so I think I brought her to brought her to youth group once, and then I find out that she uh, goes to St. Mary's down in Southern Maryland. Um, she was she was a psych. She wanted to be a psych major. We, we had been looking at other Christian schools. We, my family and I went to visit Pensacola Christian College. Oh yeah. And it's like, oh, they have a good computer science program, and we got there, and I was like, this is absolutely the worst place Insane. in the world. Yeah. For context, you can't walk on the same side of the street as someone of the opposite sex. You can't ride in the same elevator. Yep. So I applied to St. Mary's because my girlfriend went there. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, they have a good computer science program. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. So I followed, I literally followed my girlfriend to college. Wow. Uh, my grandma paid for my college. Wow. And I feel bad because I didn't use it. Yeah. And I wish I just could, could have used that for something else. But... And I started taking computer science and uh, hated it and realized that I'm, I don't like math. I'm not good at math. I realized that I have a slight dyslexia of numbers. Like I, when I have a number in my head, it switches in my head when I'm doing it. And when you're coding, you can't do that. Sure. I was in a class and I was doing really well. And then uh, the teacher was like, everyone else is excelling in this class. You can leave the class and not get the credits or transform to a, something else. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And so I basically decided, I'm like, what am I good at? And what do I like? And I'm like, it's art. Yeah. And I've, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to be a poor artist. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, well, okay, do your art, get, get good grades. At least you have a diploma. Sure. Because yeah, yeah. that means something. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I switched my, my major to, um, art design and, um, just went for that and did really well. When I first went there, in terms of faith, God's still there. God's still real to me. I never doubted that. Like everyone always says in these podcasts, God's always there. Yeah. yeah. Even even in those yeah. times, you don't you don't go like, uh, oh, that's it. Because if I said that, then then I probably really didn't get it in the first place. But He was always there. When I first got there, there was there was a um, Christian uh, group that met um, at the. It was like a Catholic church on the property, a really old Catholic church. It was just more of what I had left back at the youth sure. It was just the same thing, and I was like, no, I'm done with this. So I basically stopped all faith, anything. Yeah. Stopped reading my Bible, stopped praying, stopped doing everything. When I went back home, my parents asked me to go to church. I'd be like, nah, it's okay. I'd worked at West Ads during the summer. Still dating my girlfriend at the time, and she started having uh, issues with um, depression and uh, kind of identity issues. And I was willing to work with her through it, but she was being very um, counter to me helping. Sure. And then I just started getting complacent. I was also kind of at the top of my game. I was loving that school. I, I, had, I had a lot of friends. I was partying a lot. She was not. At that point, you know, I was not a, a nice person. Sure. We were at the table, and I, I remember she was just sitting there and looking sad, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm done. This, is, this isn't fun anymore. Wow just broke up with her and then from from that point on at school I just kind of I went I just went nuts I was just looking for the next girl I was looking for the next um, party I was looking for the next thing for me and it was just a very 
selfish place. And I wasn't, don't even think I was having a good time. I was still being made fun of. I was still being, not being included in the crowd. Like I was actually friends with two years younger than me because my peers looked down on me. I'm, I'm still at this point just, uh, you know, parties. And I'm not even smoking cigarettes at this point. And then I meet uh, this other girl and gave me attention and, and there was no dating involved. It was purely just fun. And she brought um, all the habits of, you know, smoking and um, drugs and not hard drugs, but just, just enough to make me go in a different direction in my life. I'm on top of the world now. So I have the girl that I thought I always wanted and um, I was at a school, you know, with all this fun stuff. Graduate in 2004, back home, she still had two more years left. She just goes silent. I lost it. I was uh, all, all of a sudden, like that worth that I was given and that attention that I was given yep. was just, just taken right away. And um, I remember getting calls from a guy, I was like, oh yeah, she's here and everything, but you know, she's with another guy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I didn't believe my closest friends about yeah. something going on because I just didn't want to believe it. I had something. Near the end of the year, I remember just being so like um, at a loss and just broken up about it, just not knowing what's going on. Um, I went to visit some buddies. We go to get um, airsoft guns, and he decides to, lo to load the gun in the air inside his car. So we're driving home, and he's shooting uh, signs on the way back to our place, going ding, ding, you know, airsoft gun, going, huh, this is sure. yeah. So we pull up to the townhouse, um, and then get, get ready to get out of the car, and all of a sudden six cop cars pull up, and uh, at gunpoint, and have us want us to get, you know, say don't move. Wow. So um, they handcuff him, handcuff me, and while he's doing that, my my uh, buddy rolls rolls up because he was he was at um, basic training, and he looks at us and he's kind of like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? And so the, the cops found out that it was not a real gun, so they confiscate and everything. But then that night, we proceed to drink a ton, do a ton of pot, and then take two packs of uh, Corsetin cough medicine, two packs mm. with all stuff. And I'm pretty sure that I died that night. And I do know that there was a period of time that I don't remember, and there's a period of time where I know that I took a deep breath. And my buddies were just laying on the floor next yeah. That next morning, I felt absolutely terrible. That was definitely a point where I was like, okay, this, something's going wrong. Sure. I'm not doing the right thing. And then 2005 rolls around, and it's kind of more of the same. Um, relation, uh, few relationships. That is the year that I um, got really into the um, hardcore metal scene in Baltimore. And, it, and I loved it because it was, again, it was another part of acceptance. I had sure. a community. Sure. Just like I had scouts. I had community. It was acceptance. It was, this is me. I'm being different. This is not also what... I was taught in church, sure. and the bands were singing the things that I felt, and it just felt cathartic. I was smoking a ton, no faith at all. God was also still there in the back of my mind. And then uh, 2006, a job came up as a property manager, and so I met with this girl in uh, Bethesda, and they're like, "Yeah, you come to, you come to Baltimore, and uh, you know, you just." You get, a, you get a place to live, and then you get to go around evicting people, basically. And I accepted the job, and uh, I was getting ready to start my next week there. And then I was uh, downstairs in my parents' basement watching, uh, um, I think, 
what movie was it? It was a Final Fantasy movie, Spirits of Zen. And I was like, looking at the art, art, artistry of it, and looking at the creativity of what was made, and I'm like, knowing my brother had been to film school, and knowing how creative he was, I was like, I mean, like, I'm creative. Like, I love art. Art fills me with joy, and I'm like, what am I doing going to be a property manager yeah. in Baltimore where I'm going to probably get shot doing <laughs> evicting, evicting people? people. Yeah, yeah. So um, I found these couple jobs online. One was for an animator uh, doing medical work in um, Severn, Maryland. And another one was doing, uh, for Instant Messenger, they had backgrounds and like oh, icons yeah. and making those. And uh, I got to make emojis and I got to make avatars. and, and uh, So now I'm now working in Herndon, Virginia. Uh, I got a car. And I got an apartment. And then uh, my the girl I was dating in uh, college called, said I've been having dreams about you. And so I, I visit her down in, in Southern Maryland, and um, eventually, hey, you should move in with me. That kind of began a what I thought were the best years of my life. Sure. I had we eventually got into cocaine. During this time, um, Brian and Karen were still very um, close with me and very involved. And at one point. Um, they came over to hang out. The girl I was, I was, I was with wanted nothing to do with um, my family. She knew they were Christians, so she didn't like that. I had no interest in going back to church. I was fine. I was happy. This is also, doesn't make any sense. So, all right, so some Mormons came to my door once, and you know, they hand out the, 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 uh, the Bibles, and that's got like the, the old drawing of Jesus on the front. It's yeah. very cheesy. And I'm like, all right, thanks. I set the book down on my table, right? And I saw the picture of Jesus, and I cried. I like remembered. I remembered that that means love, aside from it being a white Jesus, sure, uh, with a purple rope belt on. I saw it had nothing. I saw that book, and I was just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, Jesus, and. Um, so that, that was a seed. And then um, my bro, uh, I have a friend, Josh, who went to school with Brian and Karen, film school. And he uh, gave me a book um, called Blue Like Jazz yeah. by um, Donald Miller. Donald Miller. Yeah. <clears throat> so mind you, growing up in the 90s in the church, you didn't get books like that. Yeah. Yeah. They were in, you didn't say the F-bomb in yeah. a book <laughs> that had Christian stuff in it. And um, I read this book, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is this is real talk. Yeah, this is broken people being broken, talking about being broken, but yeah. super on fire." Um, a few nights beforehand, I had been watching. <laughs> uh, we were. I was watching March the Penguins. <laughs> okay. Uh, who was my ex? She was. She was my fiance. I had, I had asked her to marry me, and uh, I was I remember watching it and being like, "How?" do these penguins get all the way across this ice, all the way to the end, and all the way back to the exact same spot? I'm like, it doesn't make sense without there being a God. I knew there was a God, but I, rem I was remembering that part of my, my walk. Yeah. So I'm reading Blue Like Jazz, and in the book, there's a whole section on penguins. And right there, I was reading it, but she was off at, um, she was short on the hill, so she was already down in uh, DC. And I remember at that point, I got down on my knees and I'm like, all right, okay, I'm back. Uh, it's really weird because I was not 
upset in my circumstance. Sure. sure. But it was so clear in that moment. I knew that right in that moment there was a dividing line. And I knew that there's two ways to choose. And I know that people say God always gives a second chance. I knew that if I had chosen in a different direction, I probably could have done it. But there were two choices. And I remember when I chose that choice to go with God, I knew that I knew that, that was that was it. That was that was a turning point in my life, right at that point. And um, that was the and my whole life can be centered on that one that wow. one moment. So I'm like, okay, now what? I'm living with someone who's wants to have nothing to do with this. Up at that point, we never fought. Because why would you? All we did was have fun. Yeah. I said, let's split up. And the look on her face it was, it, it was like you, when you kind of wiped your hand down and you changed, it was yeah. an immediate change. She took her ring off, she threw it at me, uh, went in her room and locked the door. From that point on, it was terrible. I haven't mentioned my, my friend John in all of this, my best friend. But he's been, he's been around hanging out with us all this whole time. And I call, he, the first person I called was him. And he just talked me through it. He prayed for me. Yeah. Um, eventually, things kind of evened out with uh, me and my, um, my ex-fiance. She kept trying to, I guess, make deals, trying to talk me through it. Uh, at some point, being like, well, how do we not split up? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. Sure. I don't want to force you to go to church. And I'm like, don't you know about like what Jesus did for you? Like, don't you know? I'm like, I'm not. I have to admit, I was probably very, very annoying. Like, yeah. Because I essentially am a new Christian at this point. I'm not saying that when I was baptized when I was uh, 14, 13 or 14, I it didn't take. Sure. I knew it. I knew the. I knew what it was. And you can't know everything when you're a kid. Yeah. But this was like this is what I imagine it's like when you're an adult and you get this for the first time. Because, like, the amount of knowledge you already have in your brain and the amount of stuff you've already messed up. Sure. It punches it right in the gut. It was real. It was, it was real before, but now it was, like, f- physically real. Yeah. Everything was like, oh, this is this and this and this. Open the Bible. It was like, ah. Like, the first time, like, all Bible ball, I'm, like, memorizing yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And now I'm looking at it, and it's, like... The letters are literally like jumping off the page. For well, me. and you'd spent so much time, so much of your story is you just trying to find love, trying to find somebody who sees you as you, right? Trying to find your place. And really, like the, the way we talk about a lot on the podcast is that void, right? There's that, that thing in our heart where like, I got to fill this with something. And so we try to fill it with, you know, oftentimes it's people or you know, in the worst case scenarios, it's drugs, alcohol, addiction. Um, sometimes we fill that void um, with like hobbies or whatever. But, you know, like so many people on the podcast have shared, at some point you step back and go, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. And your version of that, though, is just long. Yeah. Right. Like it's not <laughs> so it's long. not a year. It's it literally is like most of your life. life, you know, up until that point. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to the next part of this story. We're going to end episode one right here. We're going to take a quick pause. And I just encourage you guys to come back because up until now, even though your stories have kind of done this weird, like weave in and out, like they still haven't collided yet. And so um, join us next week as we start part two and we find out, okay, what happens with Chris and Bethany and how does this thing match up? Because at this point, it doesn't make too much sense. And so you just have to come back, listen to the podcast next week. Mm -hmm.